couple of long readings, so you're warmed up for a long homily. You know, in this first reading from the second book of Maccabees, I thought I would give some context to this. So first and second Maccabees in the end of the Old Testament, just a couple of hundred years before the coming of Christ. And here's what had, ha- had happened. So 300 years before that, so around, around the year 600 BC, the Judeans had been exiled by the Babylonians. But then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, who then allowed the Judeans back into their land. So that happened around 539 BC. And the Persians allowed Judeans not only to return to Jerusalem, but to return their practices of their faith, of their religion. So to rebuild the temple, that happened in 515. This inaugurated the period of the second temple, which lasted until after Christ, until 70. So this happened here. Also to relearn the law of God, to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. So this is a period of peace and prosperity for Judaism, although living under the rule of the Persians. But then Alexander the Great came about, and he went around conquering the known world. And he, so he was a Greek, so he turned the known world into Greek, the, the Greek empire. And he died at the year, at the year 323 BC, of course. And his successors were not tolerant to their subjects, including, of course, to the Jews. So they had the Jews burn their scriptures, They had them stop circumcising their children. They made them work on the Sabbath day. They made them stop eating kosher food. They made them assimilate into Greek religion and culture. And of course, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to exterminate Judaism, completely assimilate them, and not just Judaism, but their entire, everyone they had conquered. Now, many Jews went along with this for a couple of hundred years. So, the, so 323 is when Alexander the Great died, and the first, the, the priest, which I'll get to in a second, Judah Maccabee, was in 180. So about 150 years, the Jews went, went along with this. And most of them, I should say, we'll see in a second, not all of them. Most of them went along with this. And they were becoming Hellenistic Jews, Hellenistic Greek, Hellenistic Jews. And so Judaism was effectively being watered out, watered down and driven out. Until uh, this priest, Marathias, came along and he said enough. Now there had been others up to this point that didn't go along with it and they were in, in fact martyred, but there had, no, there had not been any uprising, any resistance yet until this period. And so Marathias comes along and gathers his sons, the oldest of whom was Judah Maccabee, Maccabee meaning the hammer, and they go, they go about kicking out the, the Greeks, the, the, the Hellenistic Greeks, and for that matter, the Hellenistic Jews out of Jerusalem. So they drive them out, and they recapture Jerusalem, they restore the temple, they restore their practices, and, and carry on living the Jewish religion. And we, there is a very famous holiday to celebrate this, which is Hanukkah. That's what, that's what Hanukkah is a feast for. And it's the eighth feast. And, that, and there were six feasts instituted by Moses. And then Esther instituted the seventh. And now Judah Maccabee institutes the eighth. And that's why the menorah has eight candles, the eight feasts. 
celebrating this, the reinstitution of the Jewish religion in Jerusalem. Now, a side note, it's fascinating that Protestants don't have any of this in their scriptures. First and second Maccabees are not in the Bible. And if you can find a, a good video online, a five-minute summary of the Old Testament by, by Protestants. And the very last line of that video is, and for, and for, the, for 400 years, God was silent before the coming of Jesus. Well, they think that that's true because they're missing these books. And these are very important developments that was happening leading up to the coming of Jesus. Now, Judah Maccabee, after reinstituting Judaism and freeing the Jews and allowing them to practice their religion once again, he knew, he was wise enough to know that even though he had succeeded, the Greeks would return. And so... What did he do? He knew about this growing republic across the Mediterranean named Rome, who was not yet the empire, and he reached out to them and made an alliance with them and signed a treaty and established peace. This began the alliance between the Jews and Rome. And so then, of course, Rome continues to grow, develops into an empire, and this is the stage, this is the setting for everything we read in the New Testament. There's the Jews that are living under Roman rule, but in relative freedom to practice their religion. And the Romans are okay with them practicing their religion, but what they don't want is what the Greeks had just experienced 150 years earlier in the uprising of the, ba- or the Maccabees. So that's why there's so much tension in the time of Jesus. And so Jesus comes around about and he starts gathering this group and this, this revolution starts to grow. And they have a very recent memory of a revolt that had just taken place that had driven out the conquering, the, the ruling people from Jerusalem. So the Romans, don't, the Romans don't want this. So they allow them to, them to practice their religion, but they don't want an uprising. By the way, there's a great video. There are some good things on YouTube. Not everything on YouTube is bad. One of them is this, this documentary by this channel, Kings in General, The Origins of the Hanukkah. Very well done and details all of this. Okay, enough of that. So that's the context for Second Maccabees. Now, what, what do we pick up here? We pick up this martyr, mar, martyr, martyrology, if I can say that, this, this record of several martyrs in succession. And this happens in Second Maccabees from 6th, chapter 6 to chapter 8. And so now we read this from, from chapter 7. And it's the story of this mother and her seven sons, her seven sons being martyred. This was not yet with Judah Maccabees. He comes right after. So as these people are not going along with the, with the Hellenistic rulers, and they're giving up their lives. And chapter 7 details the first six brothers being martyred, and that, that's not in the reading here. We skipped over it. Our reading gave us the setting, and then we skipped over the first six, and then it, it entered into the seventh. But it's, it's worth it to read the first six. And now we get to the seventh. So imagine this mother who has just watched her six sons be martyred, and now, she, and now the expectation is the seventh is about to be martyred. The mother was especially admirable and worthy of honorable memory. 
Though she saw her seven sons perish within a single day, she bore it with good courage because of her hope in the Lord. She encouraged each of them in the language of fire, in the language of their fathers. Filled with a noble spirit, she fired her woman's reasoning with a man's courage, and said to them, I do not know how you came into being in my womb. Of course, this is this mother in the Old Testament, but see if you can start to hear this with typological years, meaning with, we're reading back into history. We know what happened in the New Testament. I do not know how you came into being in my womb. It was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who set in order the elements within you, within you. Therefore, the creator of the world, who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things, will in his mercy give life and breath back to you again, since you now forget yourselves for the sake of his loss. Now, this is before the seventh son is, is martyred, and the king is hearing this, and he's, he becomes outraged, and he, he tries to first talk the son out of it. That doesn't work. Then he tries to talk the mother out of it. That doesn't work either. And when he's trying to talk the son out of it, he's promising, he promised him, makes promises with oaths that he would make him rich and enviable if he would turn away from the ways of his fathers. Does that sound familiar? Somebody tempting someone else with promises of riches if, if he would just go a different direction. And then, then we get to this, this last line. But leaning close to him, she spoke in their, to her son, the mother leaning close to her son, she spoke in their native tongue as follows, deriding the cruel tyrant. My son, have pity on me. I carried you nine months in my womb and nursed you for three years and have reared you and brought you up to this point in your life and have taken care of you. I beseech you, my child, to look at the heaven and the earth and see everything that is in them and recognize that God did not make them out of things that existed. Thus also mankind into, comes into being. Do not fear this butcher, but prove worthy of your brothers. Accept death, so that in God's mercy I may get you back again with your brothers. The mother encouraging her son to accept death. And this has been said, you know, of course, we have the Pieta, the Mary holding her, the childless body, or the lifeless body of Jesus, as the, the archetype of the successful mother, the one who is able to hand over her son to death. That's what we see in Mary. And that's what we see here, right? That's what we see here in his mother. Now, of course, I was going to say something about St. Cecilia, but I've already gone too long. But of course, St. Cecilia is another example of this, right? Being a martyr herself, giving her life as a martyr. But just so you know, I put, I put this passage or part of it here from Second Maccabees in my ordination card with an image of Mary looking at the Eucharist. Right, so all of this comes together. Mary looking at Jesus on the cross as Jesus giving his life. Mary again looking at Jesus at the Eucharist, fulfilling the prophecy, the foreshadowing, the type of this reading from, this, from 2 Maccabees. Leaning close to him, she spoke, My son, have pity on me. Accept death, so that in God's mercy I may get you back again with your brothers.